Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. If you two are shocked and saddened by the cancellation of Dennis and Carmen's divorce party, you came to the right place. You listen to them. Now hang out with us. This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olson. That's me. I'm Maria Menunos, and you're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Ooh, Hello, 83 Weeks fans. This is the show that is just for you. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in live. We do have our live chat rolling. Hello to everybody out there. My name, as uh, you may have heard, is Christy Olsen. Joining me tonight will not be... <laughs> you know what? We'll get to that in just a second. We have Eric's digital producer, Steve Kaufman, in the house. Steve Kaufman will be joining you tonight. He is here. He is here right now. He just got Arn Anderson's channel remonetized. It wasn't monetized. I didn't tell anybody. It's monetized again. So go back and watch all those Arn Anderson oh, YouTube videos. No, not yesterday. Another time. We didn't make any money yesterday. And while you do that, I will introduce you to the Encyclopedia of Sports Entertainment and an independent wrestler. Hello, George Hermosa. As in Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra. Duh. There's a divorce party. Like. Oh, honey. <laughs> So this show is for people who listened to the current episode of 83 Weeks of Eric Bischoff uh, and want to chat a little bit more about it. We, of course, usually have Eric joining us live to answer all of your questions via Skype Q&A. However, he is a very busy businessman. He's in a meeting tonight, and he will hopefully be joining us next week from the boat. Yes. We are hoping desperately, I'll say, (laughs) that he... Not only joins us from the cruise ship, but that other people are around him. Like, I think it would be kind of weird if he was just in his cabin. Like, we'll take that, because he's Eric and, like... For sure, but... But part of what I'm going to ask him is if he was at all interested in... If he was joining us from his phone, not his laptop, to kind of selfie-stick us through part of the cruise ship for part of this... Maybe rounding up some buddies. Perhaps rounding up some buddies. That would be wonderful. Yeah, so if you have questions for Eric about sold out 1999, just hold off on those until next week. You, of course, can ask him these questions live because you have all have joined us live. Make sure you hit subscribe on the 83 Weeks channel so you always know when we are going live with Eric. And if you'd like to listen instead, we are on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate, comment, and subscribe. And uh, a lot of you chit-chatting already. Jay Thornton says Bischoff is the man. He is the man. He's just not the man who's going to be here tonight. Uh, Wesley seconds that. And Hybrid Eye, nope, no Bischoff. But however, yes, Wesley Home Improvement, easy, E for life. And uh, on that note, we're going to dive into some of the juicy tidbits that Eric shared this week on the show about Sold Out 1999. But we do have a little piece of professional wrestling breaking news to discuss for just a sec. This, uh, of course, isn't a news show, but when the father of one, The Rock, 
the original Rocky has passed away today, and we want to just give that a second of our attention. This just uh, hit the newswire a couple of hours ago. WWE Hall of Famer Rocky Johnson, father of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, died today. He was 75 years old. WWE has, of course, released a statement saying that the company is saddened by his passing and offering condolences to his family. Last time I checked, The Rock himself hadn't said anything yet, uh, but I'm sure he will be. Johnson, of course, spent most of his career in the NWA. He won tons of championships and is known as a tag team specialist. He hopped onto WWE in 1983 and uh, won several tag team championships with Tony Atlas and was the first black tag team champions in WWE history. So definitely something, uh, a career to celebrate today as we remember Rocky Johnson. A lot of lineage there, too, because that team beat the Wild Samoans, Alpha and Sika, who, uh, Sika's son, obviously, mm-hmm. Roman Reigns, and there's a close relationship with the Roman and the Rock and all those people. So a lot of lineage as far as what's going on and obviously heartbreaking. That's precisely why I wanted to bring this up with mm-hmm. you, Mr. Encyclopedia. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, it's also, I don't want to say interesting, but it's. Also, this is the same week they announced that they were NBC was developing a pilot around Rock, Rocky's early or The Rock's early years mm-hmm. that would include very heavily Rocky Johnson, his father. So timely, timely, if not sad. Absolutely. And uh, we're definitely going to keep everybody posted on that because that is some interesting. Oh, news. You know, OK, sorry. I didn't hear that one. I haven't checked my dirt sheets yet today uh, because I am so enamored with all of this sold out scoop that we got this week on the show. Let me just set the tone a little bit. It's sold out 1999. Goldberg's streak has ended. The finger of doom is a couple weeks past and they are in Charleston, West Virginia for a pay-per-view that is not uh, not one of the most talked about, right, shall we say? I mean, initially, I think, because initially Sold Out was created as NWO Sold Out. They thought that that was an epic failure, so then it became WCW slash NWO Sold Out. So I was still excited for that. I was a big fan of that NWO Sold Out, but I get it. But they still kept the name, so it was still their January pay-per-view, because they're typically never had, never had a tra- January pay-per-view before uh, 97. So this was kind of their way of combating the Royal Rumble, if anything. Mm-hmm. Also, January pay-per-views are interesting, to say the least. Because, especially if you have a December pay-per-view, like the WWE does now, they run close to 13, mm-hmm. that a January pay-per-view is either a pretty fresh start to all the stuff, or you get what you have here, which is a lot of Goldberg again. Mm-hmm. Rick and David, like, Rick and David, David's never worked, and, like, you have a lot of Jericho and Perry, but this time there's a get like, this time there's... But also, too, like I mentioned, like Royal Rumble, that's typically a very exciting pay-per-view, especially around this time. Like it was the Rock versus Mankind and I quit match. Austin was, you know, breaking all the records. So I was kind of curious just to kind of see. And I know Eric always says business as usual. Like we don't really look at the competition and and produce our shows that way. But you got to also think like if if we know that people are going to spend their hard earned money on most likely the the Royal Rumble, you kind of have to save a couple maybe things maybe for the next pay-per-view when they're not battling against the Royal Rumble. Right. When you could get the February money. I guess yeah, exactly, fa- yeah. I guess it's fair that you make a show for your diehards. Mm-hmm. And your diehards 
are completely fine with Norman Smiley versus Chavo Guerrero Jr. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let us know in the live chat, uh, hardcore fans. Hello, Devon. He said it's his first time here. Welcome. And uh, let us know what you think about the Montreal screw job possibly being <laughs> a work. So this is something, of course, much talked about in the professional wrestling world. It's been a while since we've heard Eric touch on it, but they specifically addressed this time whether or not Eric thinks it was a work. He doesn't. Uh, but there are some wrestlers out there that do, namely Kevin Nash, right? He he mentioned something. I think it was him or Scott Hall that, that actually said it on the what's that show? The Dark, Dark Side, Side of the Ring. Ring. Dark yes. Side of the Ring. I believe it was Scott, Scott Hall, Hall said it was like, oh, it's got to be working. I know a lot of traditional wrestlers, maybe eighties, are obviously they have their way of thinking, mm-hmm. and they think that everything is a work. Not so much of that specific <laughs> thing. Oh, that's got to be work. I think they were just custom to everything being a work. So if everything was a work, why isn't this a work? So I get their way of thinking, but as Eric said, like you can't really act the the way that Brett did when he came into WCW, and you can tell he was very upset. So I, I, I was always in the impression, I, I never thought it was a work, ever, once. I think if Brett came back within 10 years to do some type of money angle... Not even 10! Like, yeah, and exactly! Like, and, and I know the people, and to play the devil's advocate, the people who feel this way feel that Owen Hart happened within that same five-year plan. Yeah. That it thwarted anything and that Bret Hart acted the way he acted, mainly because of, Bre- of Owen Hart, not because the screw job was, wasn't to work. Mm-hmm. That's devil's advocate. I don't agree with it at all. But I think if Bret had more cooperation sooner than he ever did, I'd be on the on the train of, like, ah, maybe it was a work. But we didn't see Bret Hart on WWE te- television for, like, 20 years. Because after reading his book, too, where he... Re- I mean, the good thing about Bret's book was it was really, really in detail. Um, but even writing it, when he wrote it or released it in 2007, he was still, like, screw Shawn Michaels, screw Triple H, like, all these things that, like, he clearly is not over it. And mm-hmm. that was, like, at least, like around 10 years after the, the screw job. So I, I never thought this was a work. Ever, ever, ever. Um... I appreciate people who either truly believe that it's a work or truly understand the mechanism of our world. That if you're Scott Hall and you say that it's a work on a Vice documentary, mm-hmm. more people are talking about Scott Hall that week. And like and anyone in between. I think Vince Russo similarly is claiming that AEW and WWE are in it together and that's all a work. That none of this is real and it's a show on TBS right now. <laughs> like, but Vince Russo will tell you up and down how it's a work and give you all of this information that's inside to him. And it's, I don't know, it's all very fascinating. Well, and apparently people are enjoying that show on TBS because uh, yeah. Drew said, who else is enjoying Bash at the Beach? So it sounds like it's a good oh, one. Uh, but he also weighed in oh, and said, yeah. You, yeah, well, you <laughs> yeah. I was like, also weighed in and said it was a work. Who would ever accept being spit in the face? Well, he didn't volunt- He didn't know it was coming. You know, you know, not like Vince is like, okay, I'm ready for the spit. Uh, you know, he, he didn't know it was coming. He, he knew it was there. And plus, he knew what he did because mm-hmm. even when you th- when you read about more of the story, it's like he knew the punch was coming, and he knew that like, all right, if anybody's gonna you know take the punch, I got I got to take it. Shawn Michaels described this in the opening chapter of his book as the equivalent to a mob hit. What he did in Montreal, like wow. the, his exact words were, what I'm doing in my industry is the equivalent to a mob hit. And I think Vince understood that power, that it's about as personal as business can get. Mm-hmm. That business can certainly get that. I think a lot of the stories you hear, like similarly were Vince, um, I think Vince tried to talk it out with Brett after it had happened and Brett punched him and people are like, Vince, why did... What did you do? And he's like, I let him punch me. I had that coming. Mm -hmm. Like, there were a lot of reports of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That Vince felt like, you know what? 
I did what I did. I'm going to just accept some of the consequence. I can, I can respect that, I guess. <laughs> uh, and it, it does get very personal sometimes, so much so uh, that a true life storyline makes its way onto the airwaves. And Eric did drop a little tidbit on this episode about a Dennis Rodman Carmen Electra divorce party that he had all lined up. It sounds like everyone had signed on the dotted line, but... TV, the network shut oh, no, it you're, down. You're missing. It was going to be on NBC, possibly. Was it, it was part of the special, possibly against WrestleMania. I think he was using the Dennis Carmen thing. I'm glad we're talking this out Please. because I wasn't really clear <laughs> in the episode. And the way that I understood it was that he was using that as an example why the the NBC special up against WrestleMania was allegedly a false dirt sheet report. And he was using the Carmen Electra Dennis Rodman thing as evidence of why that NBC special thing never would have even been in the works. Because he had already been shut down previously of putting... WCW on NBC at some other time by at well because initially exactly. that NBC special was scheduled to be on February fourteenth like that was it when really it was first got down. yeah when it first got talked about and you know in in development right up, yeah. February fourteenth up against the St Valentine's Day Massacre the WWF was producing on the pay per view mm-hmm. that was the original plan and I'm with Eric like I, I like imagine what this would have done. Like, 20 years before the Fox thing. Like, this would have been huge. Like, on NBC, this is such a big deal. Like, and yeah, I, I do remember it saying, like, it was just because NBA came back. Mm-hmm. Like, NBA was on strike. They ended up starting the season a little bit later, as opposed to the regular 82. I think it was 55 games instead. But yeah, it just, like, a, 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 NBA was kind of a staple on NBC um, every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Every Sunday, pretty much, that was NBA on NBC with Marv Albert and, and, you know, all those people. So... I, I think that it was because of the NBA coming back and they were like, all right, we don't need you anymore. Well, but he said it wasn't just that, that he had some type of special lined up. And I think I think the date wasn't official over whether it would or wouldn't actually compete with WrestleMania. I feel NBC would have eventually gotten cold feet, cold feet about that. Yeah. Especially given the power of WWF in 1999. I don't think NBC would have – because they did business literally a year later with the XFL – Mm-hmm. But I don't. I don't. I think Vince would have been connected enough that he would have oh, kiboshed. No. He would have kiboshed the date. He wouldn't have kiboshed the show. I, I, just I think, think the show would have happened. I think wrestling was so hot, as as Conrad said, wrestling was so hot in early '99, where I think a lot of people would have been like, "Oh, free wrestling on NBC," as opposed to paying fifty bucks for WrestleMania. I, I can watch the replay in a couple of days, or I can see what's going to happen on Raw tomorrow. But man, like free wrestling, like they're already in that wrestling mood. Man, I would just switch to channel four. Here it's channel four. Oh, no, I, and, and watch the WCW special. I agree on the viewer level that could happen but i think on the executive level somebody will say something or do something to make that not happen and it would probably be vince no, clear, to Dick Ebersol, probably, or somebody uh, somebody he knows within the given given literally a year later how he was able to put an x behind the nbc and put an unaired unproven football league on nbc but that was a year did. later but it was that the wasn't same, then but it was the same executives that dealt, dealt with him a year later is what i'm saying is that i think had turner not squashed it and had NBC not felt it would be in poor taste to compete with WrestleMania, I think exec on an executive level, because I think in television executive sports, there are only like eight guys. At that time, there were probably only four <laughs> guys. And Dick Ebersol was one of them, and Vince McMahon was another one of them, that I think it would have got kiboshed in a backroom kind of a deal. Where, okay. oh, well, I'll that cut you sense. a deal on... A, I'll cut you a deal on a bunch of Saturday Night Main events or like whatever we can make happen. Yeah. To have because I because I think we 
the Vince we know now, it makes complete sense to us that he would rather squash competition before their competition. Yes. And I think we would have seen an early version of that. Where it's like, oh, they want to be on NBC up against WrestleMania? They're not getting both of those things. <laughs> wow. See, guys, I am so glad we talked this out. I think either way, we can all agree that that was a huge missed opportunity. Definitely a huge missed opportunity in the growth of WCW and competition in wrestling in general. And especially, like, you never know what kind of boom that would have done for WCW. Mm-hmm. Like, this was WCW already on decline. Like, who knows? Like, maybe that would have kind of set them at least, at least maybe have last, had them last longer, maybe a little bit more. Or maybe Eric Bischoff wouldn't have left WCW, you know, seven months later. Maybe this yeah. was kind of part of it of like, oh, uh, this is getting squashed and it's already this or it's like, oh, well, might as well. I don't, you know, mind getting fired. I mean, do you guys remember what a huge deal Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra's marriage was? Yeah. I also what major news it made. We all know Eric loves to get that press. Plus, at that time, anything Dennis Rodman, like he was such a hot commodity, like getting married to himself, mm-hmm. like yeah, the Dennis Rodman or the Carmen Electra, him still being an active NBA player, um, missing practice to show up on like you know Nitro or whatever. Mm-hmm. Also, I do think I like the late '90s Eric Bischoff formula. That is, Kiss is going to perform on Nitro. We're going to promo the hell out of that, and it's going to happen last. And everyone who is tuning in for Kiss is going to watch our wrestling. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say like our wrestling, our wrestling is secondary so much as it's to say there's sizzle and there's steak. The sizzle is Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra and the thing that's going to be on page three tomorrow. The steak is all the wrestling that's going to happen before that. Right. And I, if you can get 10 million people to tune in to the sizzle and the steak, you can probably convert 3 million of those people to tune in the next night to see just the steak. Mm-hmm. Especially this was a time where there wasn't a thousand channels to choose from. Back mm-hmm. then, it was like, there was still a good amount, but not not compared to today. Like, today, it's like, yeah, you can be on NBC and be like, oh, you know, a couple million watch. But back then, like, it was a big deal to be on NBC primetime. Oh, 10 know. million people watched garbage on NBC on a Sunday night. Like, it was <laughs> high. Rating, ratings are a different thing. Uh, Drew, in our live chat, as a bone pick with you guys, he said, executive level? You mean Vince. There is no executive level with the WWF. He is the boss. His word is law. No, but I mean, laterally. I mean, laterally. That if you're Vince, Vince McMahon as an executive, and then Dick Ebersol or whoever the, was the president of NBC or NBC Sports as an executive, that laterally from one company to another, they deal with each other in a different way than everyone else does, mm-hmm. is how I mean it. And Steve, I know this is killing you not to be playing this name ECW champions game that they're doing. I'm, le- I'm staying right out of it. I can name all of them, but we're not. <laughs> I'm sure that you can. Would they count Jimmy? Jimmy would they count Jimmy Snuka? No, when, when did it start? Because um, well, I mean, I know it's our '93, but when when is their criteria? But exactly. Yeah, we'll okay. Well, <laughs> while you all work that out, WWE we are going to talk about a major admission that Eric made on this episode, where he finally admitted that he threw coffee. In the direction of Eddie Guerrero. He did not throw coffee at him, but he did throw coffee, and it was in his general direction, and it was because he pissed Eric off. But see, there's a big difference on how you throw coffee. And and, and so is it, did he have the cup, and he went like this to his face? Did he throw it to the side? Like, there's a kind of a big difference on how, you know? Was it iced coffee, you know? I I feel like he threw the coffee and the whole cup. The like, way did he's, Eddie the way he's the, talking about did, it, he probably threw the whole freaking cup. But did Eddie have the cup and he knocked it out of his hand? You know, there's a lot of... I need more clarity. <laughs> All know? right, we are definitely going to be asking for more details on that when we get Eric live next week. I will say in 99, no one drank iced coffee. 
That's you were, true. You were considered a weirdo in 99 if you drank iced coffee. Yeah. Speaking oh. of someone who drank iced coffee in 99, <laughs> you were a weird. I was a weirdo. But Eric says that was the most angry he ever got. Oh, wow. Can you, for everybody who maybe doesn't remember, give us the lowdown on what happened in that situation? Well, apparently Eddie Guerrero, uh, unhappy in his status, kind of wanted a little bit more. Uh, I think this is right before the LWO thing started. Mm. Um because I remember him coming out on a promo. He was like, hey, Eric, blah, blah, you, mm-hmm. you either fire me. And he even had a cup of coffee and he and he spilled it on himself. See, I, I'm i doing. I'm saving the trouble for you. I'm spilling the coffee on myself. And I was like, what is he talking about? I remember on the sheets right afterwards, they were like, yeah, apparently backstory is backstage, you know, uh, doing a confrontation. Yeah, Eric. I mean, the story was back then before Eric cleared it up was Eric threw coffee on Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> I mean, that's a clean story, and it's yeah. not an incorrect story, Eric. I don't think there was the malice of, because especially back then, like, th- this was the McDonald's time when the coffee was way too hot. <laughs> that, right. th- I watched a whole documentary about hot coffee. That case, we all got that case wrong. And especially because this is pro wrestling, right? Uh-huh. It, the story isn't Eric Bischoff threw coffee in the direction of Eddie Guerrero. The headline is Eric Bischoff threw coffee on Eddie Guerrero. You, you know what I mean? Like yeah. Because it's pro wrestling. Well, especially because Eddie leaves within a year later. <laughs> Suspicious activity says, well, it took too long to get that coffee admitted. Now it'll be 20 years before we know exactly how it was thrown. Makes sense. <laughs> uh, a, a likelihood for sure. But uh, what we're talking about, some of the high-flying guys, the Cruiserweights match on this sold-out 1999 is definitely memorable. Probably the most memorable part of the show. Mm-hmm. Did you guys watch it back? Yes. Yes. Thoughts? Amazing. And, and and not only that, it was just it was four guys like and, and God and God bless anybody you know Billy Kidman he, he's obviously amazing but like Ray Hoovy and Psychosis like oh my God like you have people have no idea just how amazing especially Hoovy mm-hmm. Hoovy like and he's kind of treated treated of as a joke now because yeah. like he came out like mm-hmm. he would come like oh finally the juice is back like mocking the rock mm-hmm. and then obviously running around naked in Australia on ecstasy. Uh, when he got fired from WCW. Um, so you kind of th- is think of it as a joke, but people don't realize how amazing Hooven to Guerrero. Got, kudos to Ray. Obviously, Ray is Ray. It's like, oh, it's like, oh, it's but Hoovy is like on a whole nother level as well back then. Everything we say, Hoovy, I think Hootie. And I know you didn't say that. And we had, it kind of came up, kind of came up on this podcast recently. But I, what I enjoy about this match on this card versus any other match is that the 14 minutes, 24 seconds, bell to bell. Yeah. That that match told its own story so succinctly that you didn't actually like with very minimal commentary, very minimal anything else. And I think a wrestling match needs to strive for that because I think everything else on this show kind of needs context to the greater idea of like what's what what story are we over? What's the overarching story of sold out 1999? Yeah. Whereas some matches like this where you're just like, no, no, I get it. The stakes are clear. I, I ragged on Jericho Saturn loser must wear a dress match earlier. That's another one where like say what you must. Both of those guys are great, and you give them some stakes, and it works. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, and 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 I get why. I'm sure a lot of people are like, oh, Eric was ra- was ragging on a lot of the current cruiserweights or just the high flyers. And but I agree. Like there isn't anybody today that can compare to to those three or those four with Billy Kidman. It's like there's a lot of great Leo Rush, you know, Strange Chain Circling, like so many guys, like Angel Garza, the current Cruiserweight Champion. Like all those guys are amazing. Like don't get me wrong, but like let these guys are legendary. Like these guys are just pioneers, and, and maybe it's hard to be a pioneer in 2020, uh, but I mean, you, you, people got a long way to, to get to this level. So. 
Oh, and I, interesting idea. I would also argue all the all the folks you mentioned from today's class and all the folks that will be a part of next year's class or the year after that's class of cruiserweights and just high flying wrestlers. Part I think the big problem I can see is kind of a match producing mm-hmm. that WWE currently is producing a WWE style match, whereas this match was very clearly Kidman, Ray, Guerrera, and Psychosis. Kind of just getting together and like melding all of their styles because I would argue Kidman has a different style from the other three, and still, according to Eric, had the uh, typical WCW crappy finish. Well, of course, despite being a great. I mean, that's and here we are in '99. I think this. Someone will correct me if I'm wrong, but it's January '99, and here's here's Eric Bischoff saying, "Oh man, crappy finishes still a problem in WCW." Is like, what is the latest point we hear Eric say that? I want some. I we're gonna have to run it back, but not, I think January '99 might be the like. I think this might be one of the shows where he's he keeps looking at all the finishes and the continuity of the finishes and like. Yeah. I don't. It's kind of my company. I feel like I could actually weigh in on this. <laughs> well, in addition to that memorable cruiserweights match, there was also um, another memorable scene, but for a different reason. On sold out 1999, we are of course talking about. Ric Flair, his son David, Hulk Hogan, uh, a championship belt, and a classic butt whooping. <laughs> so when you watch this, and and maybe even you guys can maybe even remember your thoughts when you saw it for the first time in 1999, is it that brutal? Like, did you did you think it was that brutal when it was going on? Like, were you like, oh shoot, this doesn't seem like a work? And I, I can't really comment on right how brutal it is because I've never taken a whipping from one of those. I think it was like the weightlifting mm-hmm. belts. Yeah, um, they look very thick. <laughs> you know, I never was. I was never a fan of, of taking a whipping from a regular belt. You know, I don't think I ever took one actually. But like, you know, I can only imagine. It looks. It sounds like it hurt from you know a Christmas story. But like, just those thick ones. Like, I can't even imagine. And if 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 they said that it was all it was all extremely painful, then I I, I take it for their word. Yeah. Um, so I know reading uh, Ric Flair's book, I know he was very upset at that, um, and and maybe rightfully so. I, I think it's easy for maybe somebody like Eric or maybe somebody like Hogan to say like, oh, it's just the business, brother, you know, because their kids never got the whooping that David Flair got. So right. I th- I do disagree with whatever with, with Bischoff said. I'm glad he's not here because I don't like to disagree with him when he's on <laughs> when he's around. But um, because like I said. Their son didn't go through that. So you don't right. know what it's like to have when, you know, the spot was maybe for three or four whips as opposed to 15 or 20. So I do disagree with, with Eric's assessment of the business, brother. Also, I, I'm i sure it was discussed backstage internally in a way that Eric never heard about. And in a way yeah, that might not have admitted e- that. And in a way that might not have even really wound up in Rick's book. Because mm-hmm. Rick book Rick's book was kayfabe on top of kayfabe on top of... What's the best book? So there, there's a level of, like, there's a level of you. You would have to think Rick would have said something after immediately after the fact, mm-hmm. and like yeah. we kind of get into that, and like, I don't know, like, but you're right. Watching it in '99, it looked brutal, but I think in '99, in '99, especially the way wrestling was presented, nothing looked real in the sense that nothing, everything that was presented in the ring felt planned and intentional in a way that's like, oh man, he looks like he's getting beat up. Yeah. That must be that flare blood. He's really good at selling. And, and coincidentally, like, just on the other show, because we talk about, like, well, they talked about... I don't think they talked about it. I think it just kind of happened in the ring organically, and I think that was the the argument. But then you look, you flip over to Royal Rumble 99. The original plan was Foley was supposed to take, like, three or four headshots from the chair. Mm-hmm. How many did he take? Yeah. Like, 20! 
Workers and according to Foley, like, that was never the plan. And he was pissed at The Rock after that. Or he couldn't even talk to him for a little bit. So things sometimes just happen mm-hmm. out there that you just kind of have to go with it organically. Doesn't mean it's the the the, the right choice either. Because that sometimes is a little bit disrespectful. But the wrong choice is for Rick to... I don't want to say break... I said kayfabe too much this episode. But to... Like, if you're handcuffed to a bottom rope, you know how to take a ring apart. You can get out of there immediately. Like... Or at least in my mind, like I know how to take a turnbuckle off. You need the that- tools, though. You can't do it by yourself. Yeah, you, got you need it. the tools. Okay, it's <laughs> <laughs> not as easy as you think it is. All right. Uh, <laughs> or he he knows he's Ric Flair if he literally talks to a producer, or a cameraman, or a ring announcer, or someone backstage. Like, get me out of here right now. I'm gonna go save my kid. Right. He can do that, but he knows that the ultimate wrong choice is to break the reality that's happening on television in that moment. Mm-hmm. And just correct it after the fact. But but then write about it in your book. I, I did want to ask Eric, what went down behind the scenes after this happened? Yeah, did he see I'm an interaction too. between the two of them? Did he hear about it in the weeks after? There had to be a little bit more to the end of that story that Conrad didn't follow up with Aragon. But I did so appreciate Conrad kind of gave his own juicy scoop for once. Obviously, David Flair is his brother-in-law, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he said that David now f- doesn't, really say much about his time, but just that, oh, that wrestling thing, I did that backwards. Yeah. <laughs> and that was pretty much all he said, but it was at least something from David, you know, mm-hmm. my, because before he said that, my next reaction was like, okay, so we're definitely reaching out to David to see what he thinks about it. And, you know, I don't have to do that, so. <laughs> um, he seems, he seems like someone who doesn't really, not that he doesn't want to talk about it, but that he doesn't have much to say about it. Exactly. Like, that's a thing I did. Kind of like if you were to ask Ben Savage about Boy Meets World, you'd be really disappointed. For sure. Because he doesn't actually talk about it that much. He's like, <laughs> well, especially now that he has another sitcom based on it. But before that, when he was just like Arlen, he was just a political science kid and like trying to have a separate career. Yeah. It was this whole thing like, yeah, that was my childhood. Because mm-hmm. I feel like you, you were on a nationally televised television show when you were a child. Because I feel like One with David Flair, I think that was maybe more of a phase of his life. Like, oh, you know, like for example, maybe that was college. Right. Not everybody spends their entire life talking about their college years, you know? Right. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, just, I did that thing for a little bit. Like, you know. Yeah, it went. Kinda, it came. It went. Kind of like me at improv theaters, where I'm just like, oh, that was graduate school. Other people, <laughs> some people pay a bunch of money to go to graduate school. I drank at Iowa West, which I was <laughs> the founder CEO and won a thousand Del Close awards. And you can't check me because it's closed. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, then we won't be doing that, will we? Now I'm just checking in with our live chat role. Drew said, "You're not Billy the Kid. Big wrist, small hands to escape <laughs> handcuffs." <laughs> That's funny. Uh, Blast Thunder is just laughing at David Flair. I think he probably That's gets fair. that a still, lot. He's still a very lucky man. Also, oh for sure. Oh my god. Okay. Also, as someone who's seen the rise of Charlotte through NXT all the way to where she is right now, uh-huh. it feels—I don't want to say overbearing and overprotected, but it feels very much booked in a way of what happened to David Flair. That they were like, don't ever do to Charlotte what happened. To, how, don't ever book Charlotte how David was booked. That's such a good point. Her her last name wasn't Flair for such a long time. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was only ever alluded to like they brought him in for like one of her first big matches. Obviously, Ric Flair was in one corner, Bret Hart was in another corner. Yeah, but otherwise, like sh- they really put her out there to get over on her own mm-hmm. as Charlotte. And then they leaned into the flair stuff once she did that. That was such a great moment. That and then with Natty and the whole well, thing. Like, Ugh, and I would argue she so was good. down in NXT longer than she probably should have been because that was back in a time when you weren't ever sure if people were going to come up and how they were going to come up and if right. it would be a big deal if they came up. Right. Because a lot of times, like the champ would come up and it would be 
they'd come the up. The come to, up wasn't really a thing yet. Back well, they'd then. come up to the mid card, and yeah. the announcers would really pound you over the head. You didn't know who they were. Whereas Charlotte was one of the first big ones. We're like, this is big. Mm-hmm. This is big because like a bunch of women are coming up at once, and I think that feels very influenced by how poorly David was booked mm-hmm. and like booked into a corner because he wasn't ready. Like. Charlotte, I would argue, was overprepared by the time she made it to Raw for the very first time. <laughs> and it's working out very well for her. Uh, someone who continues to maybe struggle a little bit, and I was surprised to hear Eric admit this on the show, was when he talked about Scott Hall. And he said, you know, I can kind of quote here, Scott is still struggling and that he'll fall down occasionally. I thought that was interesting because I feel with Scott, that's exactly true. He, he struggles and he falls down occasionally. And when that happens there's some of this protection that you guys are talking about. You know, the boys aren't really talking about it. It's, uh, oh, yeah, he fell off the wagon at the airport, but then so-and-so was there for him, and it's fine. They got him home. He's good. It, it, um, do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? No, I completely understand that, like, the idea that Scott Hall is so... protected sober, about it. I, to say kayfabe way too many times this episode, I would argue that Scott Hall equals sober is the kayfabe. So yeah. the boys are going to protect that kayfabe. Yes. In the best way they can, which means if he got drunk at an airport and everyone saw, you can't ignore that he got drunk at an airport, but you can immediately say he got on the phone with DDP, he was going to Atlanta, he's at the he's at the accountability crib for three weeks. Mm-hmm. That like there's a certain protection there to get him back to rightly where we all think he should be. Right, and he's uh, he's earned an amount of that, of course, yeah. and we're always rooting for him, and he seems to be trying. I mean, I, I right? think the main thing is to. Uh, Balance. I, th- I yeah. think the secret of life is balance, right? Like, a lot of people will say, like, oh. Is that your word for 2020? <laughs> That's my word for life, actually. Um, because, like, a lot of people think that, like, <laughs> oh, I can never do something again. Like, people like to test that theory. So I think sometimes he likes to test that balance uh, to the point where at, at least it's not doing it right before a wrestling show mm-hmm. or doing it, like, right before your wrestling match. Mm-hmm. Not doing it in a public setting, like... It's okay, like, if you want to do your thing, maybe whatever, but at least it's not, Silver Linings, at least it's not in a public setting like it used to be on a regular basis. Yeah. And also, I think we as, we as a wrestling crowd have grown to not accept as much misbehavior, I would say. Like, remember when, because remember when Justin, like, The world in general, but yeah. Yeah, the world world in general, but the wrestling crowd specifically. Like, remember, I want to say Justin Credible fell off the wagon, like, two or three years ago. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. In the middle of a ring, and, like, the wrestler who was also the promoter, like, literally got in his face and screamed at him, like, I grew up idolizing you. I booked you because of that, and now you're here and you're drunk and mad. And, like, we're just trying to get you out of the ring. Mm -hmm. And it was, like, this hard thing that I think in another time we would have kind of chanted and acted like it was a show and made it a show. Yeah. Whereas I remember watching that video two, three years ago and being like, they're treating this like someone is in pain and fell off the wagon. Things are real wrong. Like, whereas I can see a late nineties version of that where everyone chants back at him and it just becomes a part of the show and it wouldn't help anybody. Mm -hmm. Gosh, that's so true. Things have changed a lot. Overall, Eric gives this sold out 1999, a marginal thumbs up. (laughs) That's the most we could get out of him from this one. He did think it had a good overall story arc. When you watched it back, did you agree? I think it did. I mean, I think this was still, they were still very clear on what on, on the direction that they were going. Yeah, maybe we were like, ugh, Hogan again and Hogan on top and now they got the new, the new effect. But at least it meant something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was stupid, but at least it had some meaning behind it. It wasn't just some random things put together like it later became. Um, at least this was the time when I think things still made sense. Whether or not we enjoyed it or not, it still made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't know if it's a benefit, but I had the reality of clipping this episode along on the same day I clipped this week's WHW, which is sold out 2000. Oh. Whew. You want to talk about the rails. <laughs> there were no more rails. Like, there were rails in 99. Mm-hmm. There were no rails in 99. Things were just happening. Because there was no direction, because there were no people, nobody in charge at there, that time. There was no champion. Uh, there, well, there was someone in charge. It was Kevin Sullivan, and a bunch of people wanted to quit. But Kevin Sullivan, because he just came, like it was Vince Russo, yeah. and then he got fired. And so it was that in between was like, so who's in charge? Are you in charge? But is, is he going to come? You know, it's like it's, also by the way, who's the champ? Am I the champ? Are you the champ? Is Tank Abbott the champ? Mm-hmm. At one point, Tank Abbott was going to be the champ. Yeah. Two thousand was a complete mess. Whereas ninety nine, like you knew on Saturday what these nine matches were going to be on Sunday. <laughs> Also, go check out this week's What Happened When as well. And on 83 Weeks, they're going to do something new that I'm kind of excited about. Next week, they are going to watch Sting's Raw debut, uh, which went down in January 2015. So we're going to see a ton of current WWE superstars getting on Eric's radar. We're going to hear some thoughts. You know there's going to be some juicy tidbits that come out from his short time there. I mean, it's going to be good. I'm really looking forward to this one because I think there's going to be a bunch of people on that Raw. Because 2015, or 2017, sorry? 2015. 2015 was was a very fascinating time for pro wrestling. There are a lot of faces there that were way hotter than they are now. There are a lot of faces that aren't there anymore. Like, I would really like to hear... Total Divas was a huge thing that was driving some of the storylines. Like, literally driving the storylines weekly, although that show's not taped weekly. It was a whole (laughs) thing. I would love to hear Eric's take. I think there's something to be said as well about that being... A time frame where a lot of us, the three of us, actually all started oh God, covering wrestling here at AfterBuzz TV. Yeah, we were obsessed. It's funny. I think oh, it's still our obsession. I'm, I'm still oh, obsessed. Okay. We're still all. We're still all. <laughs> I guess I like, went full circle with my obsession. Similarly, uh, Arn Anderson <laughs> is covering Elimination Chamber 2017. Okay. 2017 and or 20, the Ronda Rousey one, where Ronda Rousey showed up for the first, like the second time ever. Oh my God. So much good stuff to listen to this week, you guys. And of course, Eric will be joining us from the boat next week, fingers crossed, uh, to answer all of your questions from this week and what's going to be awesome next week. So make sure that you are subscribed to the channel so you don't miss it. And uh, if you like to listen, we are on Apple Podcasts as well. If they want to hit you up and send in their questions, maybe get that taken care of for the week. <laughs> Where would they do that at, Steve Kaufman? Uh, you guys me on Twitter almost exclusively at Steve Kaufman that is K-A-U-F-M-N and you can go to YouTube.com slash The Arn Show right here right now and we can try to get some of this money back that YouTube stole. <laughs> Love it. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Hermosa, G-H-E-R-M-O-Z-A. Guys, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, Christy Reports. You can always hit me up at Christy Reports. And a uh, big thank you to everybody who joined us live and contributed to all the chatter. So we will see you next week for Sting's debut. Have a good one. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 